2: Winter in the UK can feel like the harshest time of year. From weeks of rain to gale force winds and a touch of frost thrown in for good measure, it's a season that tempts many of us to batten down the hatches, only to re-emerge once spring has sprung. But there are still plenty of ways that gardens can offer vibrant winter interest when all else is waning. We'll be talking to an expert horticulturist about how he's created a 400 meter stretch of planting that showcases the best of winter gardening to delight visitors in even the coldest months. And if tropical plants are your thing, we'll be chatting with a nursery owner about evergreen exotics and how to keep your home patch lush and jungly green year round. Plus we catch up with our in-house experts to hear their must-do jobs for this month. You're listening to Gardening with the RHS with me, Guy Barton. Let's dive right in, shall we, and head to RHS Garden Wisley to meet Alistair Robinson and explore the famous winter walk that demonstrates the best trees, shrubs, bulbs and herbaceous planting that the natural world can offer in even the coldest time of year.
3: Hello, I'm Alistair known as Al. I work on Seven Acres which covers the winter Walk. So what is a winter Walk? The winter walk is the hard path on the outside of seven acres and it's designed to showcase plants that are of great interest over the next four months, so December through till March. Traditionally people used to put the garden to bed in November, they cut the herbaceous down and they wouldn't think about the garden or look at it probably till March time when the first bulbs emerged. So, this walk here is to demonstrate that there's interest to be had in the garden all year round. <laughs> the winter walk came about in 2012 when a new member of staff wanted to improve a bed on seven acres near the lake, between the lake and the river, and he wanted to go for a sort of a winter theme. That bed was so successful that it then sort of took off and spiralled to include all of seven acres, all the hard paths. Each bed's got a different theme, so you'll see one bed's box balls and birches. Another bed might be herbaceous, hellebores with winter stems. One bed might be little conifers juxtaposed with scented plants. I've always said I'd rather people were amazed by my planting. If they go, oh, I don't like it, at least they've had a thought. If they walk past and haven't even noticed it, I feel I'm wasting my time. So we've got some quite garish combinations. We've got a calicarpa with some amazing metallic purple berries. That's a real attention-grabbing, pleasing plant. We've got the winter stems that reflect lovely on the lake and the pond. You come in a still day, you get double the effect of the stems there. There's some scent as well, so we've got a lot of Daphne's, a lot of sacococca that's got sweet scents that hopefully will blow on the air as well. So it's a feast for the nose as well as the eye. And obviously with all the berries as well, doesn't it? it's a great source of food. So hopefully the birds are flocking down here because I don't want them to eat all my berries because it is for display as well. But uh, if the birds want a few, it's fine. So the winter walk really is sort of encouraging enhancing the seasons. So when people think the gardens have gone to bed, we're full of color, full of life. We've got lots and lots of plants that hopefully people will be inspired by, but I've got to say, it's going to be the winter stems. It's going to be the cornice, or the salix, so the dogwoods. On a sunny day, the vibrant yellows, reds, greens, there's some that sort of orange into reds. They've been here for 20 years. Despite all my efforts, that's still the plants people flock to, but I'd go for the Calicarpa Imperial Pearl with the amazing metallic purple berries. Hopefully a shrub like that would now be in stock in plant centres now. It's such a mild late autumn, you could still plant it now definitely. It may take a year or two to establish and then just make sure you keep it well watered next summer. Given the dry summer, it'll take some looking after. So do come and check out the winter walk. You may even find me out here. I've been slaving away the last 12 years, it never really ends. So if you can't find your way to Weasley, hopefully I've inspired you to try a few of these winter wart plants in your own garden, and then you can enjoy the colour, the scent, the expected foliage, the expected flowers, and prolong the season of interest in your own garden.
2: Thanks, Al. A far cry from the ethereal world of those slender stem dogwoods are large-leafed exotics. And though your imagination may reserve these tropical species exclusively for the jungle, more and more of them are proving hardy enough to stay evergreen in even our northerly British latitudes. We spoke to Bruce Jordan, founder of Big Plant Nursery, to hear more about exotic evergreens here in the UK.
1: One thing that I'm often asked is what actually is an evergreen plant, particularly with people who want a plant that doesn't drop any leaves. And so they'll say, I don't want a plant that loses leaves. We would call that a deciduous plant. Now, an evergreen plant obviously still loses leaves, but it loses them gradually throughout the year. So it's always got a large percentage of leaves on it. So that's what we'd call an evergreen plant. By hardy, we would say it's a plant that is hardy throughout the British Isles, which means it will grow in an average winter without any problem throughout all parts of the British Isles. And exotic doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be tender or fragile. It just means it's got that lush, exotic appearance. Some people say to me, well, yeah, evergreen's they're a little bit boring, but what you've got to remember is that they may well be on the face of it somewhat boring but they are the perfect foil to other plants around the garden. So in the summer, they're quietly in the background, just bouncing off the transient, flowery, more showy plants that disappear in the autumn. But when the autumn comes along, you'll get this beautiful framework of evergreens that will just create structure in your garden. And they're an essential part in creating any garden these days, particularly if you have a bare modern garden. You need something that's green just to kind of lift you throughout those winter months another thing to confuse it somewhat is the term semi-evergreen now semi-evergreen can be applied to where a plant's growing in relation to its microclimate another term that is somewhat confusing perhaps but microclimate is Basically, where you benefit from residual influence on the environment within the garden, such as in a London garden, the temperature would generally be a few degrees warmer than a cold rural garden. Equally, a coastal garden may perhaps be a little bit warmer. And also, we could generate the microclimate by having a cold garden that's got a wall, maybe a south-facing wall that gets a bit of residual heat. These are all zones that we would call microclimates, and into these microclimates we can use plants such as ones we'd loosely term semi-evergreen, which leads me on to a plant we can't really avoid talking about because it's such hugely appealing and has so much interest and following. It's Tetrapanax papyrifer. Now, Tetrapanax is an Asian plant, comes from all over principally taiwan is where we seem to get the ones that have the biggest leaves and there's a group called the rex group which have the biggest of all leaves large divided leaves screams of exotic gardens and is highly highly desirable i can't emphasize this now if we grow it in a london garden for instance particularly a warm london garden it's evergreen it's also evergreen and places like the isle of wight but If you grow it in a cold rural garden, such as the garden that I have here in West Sussex, it tends to be almost deciduous. So it loses most of its leaves, but holds on to one or two. And so we would call that a semi deciduous plant. It's a plant to look out for if you want to do an exotic garden. Just be aware that if you plant it, it can sucker and produce offsets. I quite like that, but you may well prefer to think about growing it in a restricted bed or with some form of root barrier just a four. I'm just gonna put it out there that I think you should have a tetrapanax, but you should also have a chef lira and you should also have a fatsia polycarpa to the very least, but there's so many more, so, so many. One that really you should look out for these days, and it's increasingly becoming more available, is fatsia polycarpa green fingers. So we've got Fatsia japonica, the regular one, but Green Fingers just adds another dimension of exoticism to it. It's got large, deeply divided leaves, a very, very useful and wonderful plant, particularly good in the shade. That's one I'd look out for. It's hard to single out one other because there's so many, but one of the newcomers on the stage, I guess, is the whole Schefflera family. And to that end, the one that's most widely available now is Schefflera taiwaniana. Yeah, it really almost looks like a houseplant. It looks so exotic. It's got these lovely little palmate leaves, which are glossy and proving incredibly hardy as well. It's also interesting to note where these plants come from. I've mentioned the Tetrapanax, but the Schefflera, in particular, Taiwaniana, obviously there's a clue in the name. It's Taiwan. And you may well think, wow, that's a really hot country. And that brings me back a little bit to microclimates. In Taiwan, these plants are found on the sides of mountains. And obviously, as you go higher up the mountain, the climate changes, gets cooler and more in tune with what we have here in the British Isles. So that's the Schefflera Taiwaniana. Same with Fatsia polycarpa, the Japanese islands it originates from. I guess that's what's the fun about our kind of gardening. It's finding plants from countries that would sound quite unlikely, but if you go high enough, you'll find the zone that is suitable. There we are, we've talked about a few plants. I think now is the time really, particularly when it's raining so much, is to get online, do some research, look at the plants we've talked about, and perhaps order some, if you can, and get out and plant. Historically, autumn is the best time for planting, and our autumn seems to have shifted. Autumn now seems to have run right into December, and the seasons are changing, we all know that. But the soil is still warm, and if you have a garden that's not underwater, get out there and work. It's great for the mind, body and soul, and also your plants. They'll get away and be stronger, because probably next spring we'll have another drought, and that's the time when you want your plants to have already set down the roots and be growing. So, my advice get out there.
2: Thanks, Bruce. A link to visit Big Plant Nursery will be in the show notes. In former times, dwarf conifers and heathers were the go-to winter evergreens, and very nice they are too. And they're reliable, particularly in cold and difficult places. But it seems that the changing climate has made big-leafed exotics more and more feasible. Bruce mentioned the propensity of tetrapanax to send up suckers, and this particularly happens if the main stem is killed by winter. On one hand, it's a good thing, because if you have the misfortune to lose your main stem in the winter cold, it'll regenerate from suckers, which are shoots that arise spontaneously from the roots. On the other hand, it can be a bad thing in that you end up with tetrapanax everywhere. I have to say though, the tetrapanax at RHS Garden Wisley have not, to my knowledge, demonstrated much in the way of suckering, so I wouldn't be too worried about this. And if they do sucker, you can always dig them down and sever them and start a new plant elsewhere. Although, in my experience, tetrapanax is manageable when it comes to suckering, there are other plants that can spread and be a confounded nuisance. Certain bamboos, for example, the ones that are popularly known as runners. that's a descriptive word to say how they can advance across your garden. Um, it's not to be too worried because you can always contain a bamboo with special membrane that you insert into the ground but it's a well to check the running propensity of a bamboo before it actually starts invading your garden and of course tetrapanax is nothing like Japanese knotweed that can send up suckers and spread quite remarkably in a garden situation. So you can plant these safely, secure in the knowledge that your English country garden or your suburban patch won't turn into something like the Jungle Book overnight. As Al already put it so succinctly, we no longer believe in putting the garden to bed at the first touch of frost. So to reiterate that you've not got out of your gardening chores too easily, we assembled our crack team of horticultural advisors to give you their must-do list of jobs for right now.
4: Hello, my name is James Lawrence. I'm a Principal Horticultural Advisor based at
5: Wisley. Hello, I'm Michaela. I'm a Horticultural Advisor based here at Wisley
6: also. Hi, and I'm Nikki, and I'm Senior Horticultural Advisor also based here at Wisley, which is a little bit wet and windy today. So we're going to have a look at some
4: questions that we're regularly asked and tasks to do for December. And we often get asked quite a lot of pruning questions around December. And this year, perhaps people might be pruning certain things like roses a little bit later than usual. Nikki, what do you think about that?
6: Yes certainly I think it could have been that we would start pruning in November but a lot of roses are still flowering in November now especially as the autumn becomes milder so it's definitely worth leaving them until they have dropped all their leaves and I've had quite a few shrub roses that were flowering through to the middle of November this year so definitely leave it a little bit later when they're completely dormant and then do your rose pruning.
4: Certainly is a bit of reacting to the conditions that we've had earlier in the year and the way the seasons are changing going on. Other pruning that we often get asked about this time of year around apples and pears in particular, so winter pruning on apples and pears. And the idea there is to create a nice open goblet shape, isn't it? And what's the reason for that, Michaela?
5: The reason why you prune to an open goblet shape and try and keep the growth out of the centre of the tree is for good airflow to help with pests and diseases in the spring and summer. But the idea is that you don't over prune because then you will get a lot of water shoots that you will then thin out next year.
4: So the important thing there is to try and relieve any congestion that you might have as well. And you're really, on most of these trees, trying to sort of set the spurs for fruiting the following year. It's not the same for restricted forms, though, is it, Nicky? You do that at a different time.
6: Yeah. So if you're training your apples or pears, realistically, any fruit like that against a wall, that might be a fan train, despalier or cordon, then you do the pruning for them in the summer. You can do a little bit of winter pruning, but generally because you're trying to keep them into a very restricted growth pattern, you do do the pruning for those in July, August time. Great. And while we're on the subject of
4: pruning, lots of people have been asking
6: recently about
4: whether or not they should completely prune back some of their perennial plants, some of their herbaceous plants. And there is a bit of a debate here, isn't there? Because there is some benefits to not doing that. Michaela, what do you think about pruning back perennials?
5: I've actually pruned back some of my perennials last weekend just to tidy up the garden. But try and leave plants like your grasses because the birds will like those. Anything with a seed head on, flomis, oringiums, leave those because they will feed the birds and insects through the winter and then cut down in the spring.
4: And, Nikki, any other plants that you would leave seed heads on over winter?
6: Yeah, certainly things like sedums and verbena bonariensis, And they actually, when you get a bit of frost on them or a bit of dew and a spider's web, they can actually look really interesting in the winter, even though they are essentially dead they can still give you some structure and sort of a little bit of architectural or photo opportunity even actually
4: you do indeed see lots of images of frost on dried flower heads and lots of people might even want to cut them later in the year and bring them in as part of floral arrangements so it is worth taking the view that some things may need to be cut back particularly if they're going to have damp foliage that could potentially come back and rot the crown. But things that dry nicely, keep them on there for some structure, for some winter interest and for some wildlife value as well. We do often get asked at this time of year as well about whether it's a good time of year to move plants. So sometimes people want to, they realise they've planted something in the wrong place, it may have been there for a short while and they want to move it. And generally, as we're going into the dormant season, that can be a good time of year, particularly to move deciduous plants, right Michaela?
5: Yes especially as the weather is still mild it's quite easy to move deciduous plants however if they've been in the ground for more than five years then they are well established and you may set them back with not very good growth in the first year after you've moved them but you will need to keep them well watered in the first year after you've moved them to get them re-establish at the roots
4: so it is worth pointing out that obviously moving plants is a kind of last resort because you are disturbing them and you are putting them under stress but nikki have you got some tips if you do decide to move them if you are moving them and we're doing it in the dormant season for deciduous plants what can you do to ensure you get the best success rate
6: You really need to take as much of the root ball as possible and keep the soil on that root ball. So if you're moving a shrub that has a canopy that's about a metre wide, you want to start digging at the edge of that metre. It can be quite hard work and it's actually quite a skilled job as well. So as Michaela said, if something's been in the ground a long time, you're going to have a lower success rate, but you need to make sure you take as much fibrous fruit as possible and you'll usually need to go down between 50 and 75 centimetres on woody shrubs at least. So it's worth making sure you prepare the new planting hole in advance. Don't lift your shrub and then think, oh God, I don't know where I'm going to put it now. Decide that first. And if you've got time, most people tend to move shrubs because they're moving house or something like that but if you can plan in advance you can actually sort of dig a trench around something you want to move a year in advance and that makes it easier to move because it will put out new growth into that trench and it makes it easier to lift and root ball.
4: If only we were all that prepared. (laughs) It's worth pointing out as well that if you're moving plants particularly trees or shrubs and you are taking a large root ball as recommended do think about how you're going to do that from your own health and safety point of view because actually lifting you know big plants can be really quite difficult so try and make sure you've got some help or that you're not over stretching yourself when you're doing things like that so there's some tips for the garden in december but it's important also to sort of sit back and reflect on the year that you've had and look forward into the future and how would you do that nikki
6: i will be eating drinking and being very merry I will be writing my
5: Christmas cards and getting my Christmas decorations out.
4: And let's not forget all those seed catalogues and exciting things that come through the post at that time of year so you can plan for next year.
2: Thanks there to James, Nikki, and Michaela. Well, that's about it for today. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. It's the best way to encourage others to listen to the podcast and if we're lucky, it'll mean there are a few more lush evergreens to spot in otherwise bare wintry gardens. After the hectic gardening year, it's nice that things are winding down. And I've got a lot of tidying up of my shed to do, tidying up of my garden, pruning, and I've got to get ready for next year, order seeds, get my canes back in, shorten them, order other things that I need, plants and seeds, for example, and also check out the fences. Now things have died back. I can have a look at the fences and order in fencing material because some of my fences are getting rather old. And as they say, good fences make good neighbors. But that's all for now, so for me, Guy Barter, goodbye.
0: I'm walking down the path in my garden, and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I've found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawn mower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the Rhydon sooner. With the Cress robotic lawn mower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the Rhydon. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step and you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer or visit cress.com
2: Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days, plus reduced-rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more.
1: Terms and conditions apply.